driving that train. Hi, Uncle Tane. Casey Jones, you better watch your speed. Trouble ahead, trouble behind. And you know that notion just crossed my mind. I can replace the cord here to try to get a better sound. If it's muffled at all, say the word, I have the mic right here, I can switch. But I think last time it wasn't connecting, like it wasn't plugged in really. This time, I think it is. It's muffled? Alright. Never mind. This time I came prepared. This time, I have all the necessary equipment at my disposal. There we go. There we go. Now you can hear me. Yes, can hear me, can't you? Can you hear me now? Verizon. Or is it T-Mobile? Who knows? That guy's a fucking mercenary. He'll fucking advertise for anybody. How can you believe in anything when that motherfucker will just jump ship at the drop of a hat? No wonder people don't believe in anything in this fucking country. You see a guy come on TV as a, as a trusted symbol of, uh, of, of cellular uh, telephonic clarity and bargain, and he tells you this is the phone to get, and then a couple years later, yeah, no, it's actually these guys because they paid me more. How am I actually supposed to know who has the superior cell phone clarity and coverage if you guys are just saying this because people are paying you? I mean, what the fuck, man? Honestly, I feel like they need to be held accountable. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I was feeling kind of a little uh, spilked up, you know, feeling not too good about things in general. I mean, I feel fine personally, but... But I was able to ground myself by remembering, hey, I can always hold people accountable. And man, it really did help. Holding people accountable all day, it's fantastic. Just get to point at people and say, accountable. Now, I didn't say accountable for what, so this still technically isn't uh, politics. That's not politics. I want to hold the T-Mobile guy accountable for switching. I want to hold uh, whoever, th the first guy to figure out that you could make a fucking CGI blood gust instead of a, a squib and save X number of dollars, that motherfucker must be held accountable. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to, uh, to hold people accountable, and it's free. It's free! You know, it's going to cost you nothing. You know, it, not, it, it, it there requires no effort whatsoever. It's a miracle. It's like what Diogenes said when he was, uh, he talked about masturbating. And he said, would that were so simple to soothe your hunger by rubbing your belly. Like you get to take all of your sense of outrage or anger or powerlessness and convert it into accountability in the form of you saying something. Who wouldn't take that deal? Who wouldn't take that deal? Who wouldn't be, uh, who wouldn't be uh, sucked off by that particular uh, succubus? I have to say, the Mississippi state flag is a good one. They, they jumped up in the tiers. 
from very bottom tier to top tier flag. Uh, best flags. This is now one of the better ones, but New Mexico is really good. The symbol. Um, uh, oh, what are the other good ones? I really like New Mexico. That one always stands out, but there's a couple I'm forgetting about. Uh, Texas, I mean, you got to give it to them just for simplicity and starkness. Um, flags are not politics. Flags are aesthetics. We're talking purely on aesthetic grounds. Virginia does have a murder on it, which is pretty fucking metal. It has a murder being carried out. But I don't like flags with human figures on them, because humans don't pop on a flag. It's too much detail. It's too busy. You need big, bold strokes and colors. In my mind, that's the best flag, which is why New Mexico is so good. It's like, shit. Anything that looks like it could be the emblem of like a alternative history fascist movement that took over the world, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good flag. Uh, Ohio can fuck off for two reasons. It's actually a decent design with the big O for Ohio, but two problems. One, it's a pennant. Get over yourself. Everybody else has a fucking rectangular flag. You can get a rectangular flag too. Who the fuck do you think? You're Nepal? The Nepalese flag is like that because it's, you know, those pennants are like, you know, traditional elements of, uh, of, of, of uh, Nepalese Buddhist practice. You just want it to be different. And too many stars. Why are there stars? What are the stars doing? What are the stars on there? Just busy. And they're not even in a, in a uh, they're not even um, symmetrical or anything. They're just almost randomly thrown, scattered. And I will cop, as a Wisconsinite, Wisconsin has one of the worst flags in the country. Wisconsin and New York, which both have the big emblems with the two figures and all the bullshit on the, on the fucking shield, that's dog shit. Huge swing and a miss there. And the funny thing is, is not only do they have similarly shitty flags, they actually basically have the same state motto. Because the state motto of Wisconsin is forward, and the state uh, motto of New York is excelsior, which is, I believe, forward in Latin or something else. So I will cop Wisconsin bad state flag. Wish it was different, but it is really bad. Wisconsin, Washington's, yes, clip art is the word for it. Fucking just a terrible line drawing of George Washington. Dog shit. Uh, Excelsior is upwards. Well, depending on like where you're facing, upward and forward mean basically the same thing. You're talking about progress. You're talking about positivism. You're talking about... Like the Brazilian flag, Ordo o Progresso. You're talking about upward or forward movement. Progress. The worm turning towards greater prosperity and safety for all. The 19th century credo. Uh, what, yeah, Arizona's is good too. The, 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 the Southwest flags are both good. Uh, oh yeah, that's great. Oh, with the star and then the fucking sunburst behind it? It's like fucking Imperial Japan, but not problematic because, you know, Arizona has not carried out any uh, genocides in the greater East Asia Coast prosperity sphere that I'm aware of. Yeah, no, uh, Arizona is what you want in a flag, for sure. People are saying, people are shouting out Indiana. Let me look at that one. Not bad. The torch is pretty good. The torch, and, the, and in this case, the stars make sense, unlike on the Ohio flag. So, yeah. No, Indiana's not bad. I mean, ironic, since Indiana is absolutely bottom-tier toilet garbage state 
bottom five. But uh, nice flag. Somebody's yelling for Missouri. This has got to be bad. Those fucking hicks, man. Think you're Midwestern? I do not think so. Okay, is it two bears? Are there two bears? Are there two bears holding up an emblem? Okay, that's kind of cool. They have literal bears. I believe those are two of uh, Alex Branson's ancestors. That's impressive. Yes, Missouri is the South, correct. I'm glad someone pointed that out. This is interesting. I have a little bit of data here. Maybe it's because I'm early. Uh, it's either because I'm early or because I put Friday vibe stream no politics in the header. But I have way fewer viewers than usual alive. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's because people are like, give me the politics. And that's good. It's good to know what my, uh, what my real value add to the market is. Uh, wow. I did not... Yeah, two figures holding up an emblem is boring, but if the two figures are bears, it's kind of charming. It's almost like a flag for an alternative world where the bears took over. Planet of the Bears. That's whimsical. I like it. The bear is also the symbol of the city of Berlin. You see a lot of bear-themed emblems and, 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 uh, and symbology there. No. Albania has a great flag. Anything with a fucking, a, a, a symmetrical bird, two fucking headed eagle, it's good. It's real good. Uh, Mexico also has a good flag. Mexico and Canada both have vastly better flags than the United States. I hope this is all understood. Both Canada, you can say what you want about, oh, it's a leaf that's kind of, you know, it's not virile in the way you want a nation's to be represented, whatever, if you're, you know, going to be uh, heteronormative about it. It's just, it's, it's striking, and, it's, and it's, it pops. The colors and the design pop. And Mexico with the fucking eagle and the snake, great. America, bunch of lines, not even symmetrical. Bunch of lines, like the ideal version of the American flag is the British Union Jack. That is that concept made into something visually interesting. Everything else is just some version of bars, like France and Poland and Russia and Germany. Barred colors that all mean something. If you're going to mix that up, the British figure that out. And maybe it speaks to the difference between like how the political cultures came to be. Like, the, the Union Jack is three, three crosses on top of each other, right? You've got the, uh, the St. George's Cross that represents England. That's the English emblem. You've got the St. Andrew's Cross on the, on the blue, like the red on the white for St. George, that's England, and then the white on the blue, which is for Scotland, although they changed the color. Scottish people, will, the real like SNP people will not, not cease to point out that the blue in the Union Jack is not the blue in the, in the, in the Scottish flag. It's like a powder blue. And then there's a Royal Navy blue, which is, of course, a, a Navy blue is very fitting for those fucking limey ship flying driving motherfuckers. And then, like, there is, there's also, a, a, like, a Welsh flag in there, but I don't know how it is in there. But anyway, it, uh, it's all three on top of each other, which represents, like, a political polity that emerged sort of organically uh, as a whole. The United States, and the fundamental problem with the United States from a political perspective, like, the, the, the reason this exists, the, 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 the real materials reason, is the reality of 
free real estate, Europeans creating a European polity in a world of uh, almost limitless expansion. That is the reality that created our absurd situation where our political polity was this weird mutual stand down between Mexican standoffing states where they all relinquished the minimal amount of power uh, and negotiated entry into this thing. A system that only worked in the absence of sharpened regional or sectional uh, or, ideolo- or, uh, or party-based uh, divisions. And the proof of that was in the Civil War that happened within 80 years of its uh, adoption, which should have ended the document. But because we were still expanding then, because we were still pushing outward, we were still venting outward, among other reasons, but I think that's the generator of all the other ones. When that war ended, we left that fucking thing intact, which was, ooh, what a fucking... This is history. This is not politics. The one with uh, flag, the one with the wheel man is really good. And so the colors in our flag are just gingerly separated. Like here are the 13 colonies all separate from one another and not crossing in any way. And then here are the stars all one after another. And it's like, oh my God. God damn it. This should have been dissolved away by the, cre- the fermentation of America's social base that exploded the Civil War. But no, the necessary container for it that contained those things in the European polities, the first, the uh, other capitalist policy, polities of this era, didn't exist. The hard lines, like the social, structural, like resilient institutional realities built by the, the endless lapping of social currents along a fixed, bordered, enclosed polity. Our conflict happened in a, con- in a context of continual expansion, a continually unfixed border. And that meant that we never really had to confront class con- the class, the growing and emergent and finally, you know, uh, terminal class conflict within the social order uh, when we could just buy it off. Like the history of America is buying off all of our social problems, all of our political problems, all of our economic problems that are generated by the contradictions of our society, buying them off at the expense of others. That's it. At the first, the expense of the native population of this continent, the expense of um, uh, imported African slave labor at the expense of uh, uh, indentured and then immigrant uh, working class labor from the, the peasant overflow of Europe. And then uh, the re-encountering of like, in, uh, remaining indigenous people and uh, integrating them through you know, conquest in the Southwest. And over time, these different, these different groups of people become political subjects and obtain a political stake. But while doing so, they are bought off with new lucre uh, accrued through the exploitation of people other places. Uh, in, in, um, in our little burgeoning co- uh, uh, empire that we built in the United States uh, for a while before just taking over the control of the world empire from the UK and then, ex- and then uh, like 
make, uh, fighting a war with uh, communism over the resources of the post-colonial world and, prevent, and maintaining a position where they uh, were essentially confiscated from these places that they existed. No re recompense at all for the, the, the robbing of natural resources. And then our current crisis comes from the fact that we can't do it anymore. The border is closed. The myth is over, as Greg Grandin says. And that is where all of this, this spiral downward we're seeing, like with the president not conceding. I mean, this is a big deal, not in terms of there's going to be a coup, but a big deal just historically as a, as a new normal, as a new degradation of like the, the political space. As a, as, a, as, a, as a like self-conscious public arena where both sides accept the basic outcome of agreed-upon structures of government and law. That's a big deal. And what is causing this breakdown is the inability of us to offload anymore. That's definitely politics, and you know what? You guys should hold me accountable for that. Please hold me accountable. I did a politics. I did a no growth. I did an imperialism. Uh, I did a white fragility. And I have not even begun to contemplate the multiplicity of my offenses. I'm very sorry. Give me another flag, folks. Let's, let's keep uh, reviewing some flags. Uh, of course, uh, before you say it, Mozambique, everyone loves it. It's got a fucking AK on it. Badass. Uh, the Soviet flag was really good. Hammer and sickle, how do you beat it? Just in the one corner, though, so you've got that just field of red. Man, it was something. Movie Bob does not want to debate me, does he? No. Did he challenge me? He's I, he hasn't blocked me, so I could check it out. Has he, has he has called me out? I would not do it. I don't debate, but I'm amused by it, if that's true. I, don't, I think you guys are pulling my leg. I gotta say, I kind of feel bad for Movie Bob. I can't, get, I can't torment him too much. He, he did this tweet where he talked about how sad he, how he felt like all of the progress he'd make in building, made in building a social life over the last 10 years is all being undone by COVID and he worries he's not going to be able to get it back. And it hurt. It hurt. I fucking felt for the guy. Like that is, a, that is a thing where I recognize that he and I are basically the same guy in many ways. Like our backgrounds are similar. Our, the way we encounter the world after going through college, roughly similar. Uh, with just differences of, you know, happenstance. Things that we did not control. Like we got sorted away from each other by, by the quantum just interplay of, of, of our... Uh, of everyone going through their, you know, automatic social roles. So it made me really think, like, damn, there but for the grace of God. Uh, so I don't feel like I can really... I'm not going to ever at him again or anything. I mean, I stopped doing that in general, but this is definitely another reason I can't do it for him. And, of course, this is true for every person. Like, the fact is, is that if you think about anybody long enough, if you know enough about anybody's history, you will find some narrative whereby it really couldn't have been any other way 
doesn't absolve anybody of personal responsibility, but it, it should drain from you the ability to hate them. But I have to say, it is very difficult to practice that. Especially when you see people who do real evil, enormous evil, and they're right in your face in a way that, that wasn't always the case in the pre-media overload age. Tacoma wept. Tacoma wept. Somebody keeps asking for the Isle of Man. That's the one with the, that's the one with the fucking Lovecraft, like, occult, wicker man ass leg guy, right? Yep. What's that thing called? I'm going to look this up. There's a name for that, right? The three legs? Ah, a nitricassin. That's it in. Oh, it's the tri... Triskelion. Triskelion. Nice. Triskelion. We love it, folks. Don't we love a Triskelion? We love it. We got three legs. They go down the street. Bye-bye. Oh man, the red hand of Ulster is—it's uh, appropriately metal for what has uh, the history of that region of the world. Like, if you guys are going to fight over symbols and you know historical memory and identity like that, you better have some badass symbology to back it up. And I got to say, red hand of Ulster pulls it off. Irish flag, on the other hand, man, I always was hard for me to see all these patties get all teary-eyed about you know the raw. And just flying that thing, like, you know, flying the Irish flag is a defiant act. Uh, during the Troubles in England, it absolutely was. But it's really, all the, Irish, all the Irish flag is, is the Italian flag if you leave it out on the pole for a month. It's just green, white, and then faded orange instead of red. And I understand, yes, it symbolizes the Catholics, it symbolizes the Protestants. You see, the green symbolizes the Catholics. And the, and the orange represents the Protestants, and white is, of course, the pace that we make between us. Boring. Get something more interesting. The, the harp is pretty good. The harp isn't bad. They should use the harp more. Aruba. Aruba, come on, come on, pretty man. That's not bad. I don't, I don't like the star. The star looks like it's a hood ornament. Uh, it actually looks like the, the, the door of a cop car. That's, yeah. The Aruban flag looks like the door of a cop car. No thank you. The South African flag, the new one is good. The old apartheid one is hilariously bad. The, the, the South African flag is great because it's, it does the, you know, uh, the challenge of just lines or colors, like representative colors. It, it, it goes above and beyond just lining them up. And it doesn't even just do like the, you know, the, 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 the pennant, the internal pennant thing that you get with like Puerto Rico. 
goes through It's good. But man, the old apartheid one, which was like a clip art deal where it was like orange and then a, like the British flag and stuff like all in little in little rectangles in the middle. Yeah, dog shit. Dog shit. Look at that thing. It's a little, it's, it's orange on the top, white in the middle, blue on the bottom, and then in the white stripe, in order, is uh, the little, a little tiny Union Jack, a flag in a flag, and then another flag that represents probably the, the fucking Boers or the Dutch or something in the middle that's the other direction, and then another flag, which it's, I think represents like the natives or something. It's, it's dog shit. Milwaukee flag is really, really way too busy and cartoonish. It's not great. Australia, anything with uh, the Union Jack on it is cucked. You're cucked. Get a new flag. Get a new head of state. You motherfuckers had your ceremonial-ass governor general overthrow your elected government once already, and you didn't get rid of fucking the queen. The hell, man. Cucked. Yes, the red letter media guy sitting on a couch should be the Milwaukee flag. Agreed. They represent the city in every respect. Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. No, the South, apartheid South African flag is some clip art bullshit. A collage of other people's flags. It's like something you, you, it's like a flag project, like design a flag for your country and you forgot to do it until the morning of class. Just dragging flags on a fucking uh, clip art thing and putting it together. Uh, what did someone say? I forgot already. Sri Lanka. Ooh, yes. Sword Lion, you're doing well. Uh, it's a little busy. It's going to stay out. It's not going to be in my top top because it's a little busy, but big. if it has, if it was, yeah, like if maybe the border wasn't there. Sorry, guys. Am I back? I think I'm back, right? I got a phone call. I don't know how you, uh, if there's a way to stop that, but yeah, if, uh, if I got a phone call, it just knocks me off. I guess, yeah, I can't go airplane mode. Can I go airplane mode? Do not disturb? I don't really know how to do it. I've never really looked at the doohickeys. All right, uh, so give me another flag. <sighs> Gibraltar. Oh, I thought I made my point about the Sri Lankan flag clear. Nice, but too busy. Welsh flag. They used to be have a leak on there, and then they switched to a dragon because they thought it was cooler. Have some fucking confidence in yourself. Ugh. Like, you know, the Welsh, the Welsh patriots who fucking fought... Uh, Edward Longshanks, they flew under the fucking leak. It's not good enough for you. 
The Alaska flag has Big Dipper on it, right? Yeah, that's not bad. Just the Big Dipper. Like, it actually reflects something natural, which I like. Brazil is funny. It's the only flag in the country, in the world, national flag, that has any words on it. And those words are Ordo o Progresso, or Order and Progress in Portuguese. Because the people who design the Brazilian flag were part of a essentially quasi-religious cult around French positivist philosopher Auguste Comte. And they believe that the, 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 the Enlightenment and then the Industrial Revolution that came after it had created a situation where human perceptive capacity, human ability to, to empirically observe its world rationally, would become so powerful that all human issues, how problems, would be solved through the application of reason. That was the basic faith. And it was an actual church. They had churches. They were all over the place in the 19th century. Uh, they're kind of like a fraternal lodges. It was, it was like, a, it was a, like a, a nerdier, less ritualistic Freemasonry, basically, because Freemasons believe kind of broadly the same thing, but in occult terms. Like when they talk about progress, you know, us improving the world, you know, it's in, these, in the terms of you know, like the grand work and everything, but you know, in practice that means applying reason to the world and solving its problems. And they were very influential, uh, and especially in Latin America, uh, like the, uh, the uh, Scientificos, who were a co like, a, like essentially the intellectual, uh, the coordinating committee for cap emerging capitalism in uh, 19th century Mexico under the Porfiriato of uh, Diaz. Uh, they were similarly positivist in that they thought, like, if we get the data here, we can turn this country into a modern society and all of our problems which are lingering uh, issues that come from colonialism and, uh, and racism and everything else will be resolved. And uh, it had a lot of influence. I think uh, World War I really kind of took the wind out of the sails on that. Uh, World War I was kind of a, oh boy, we got more technology than we've ever had. We have more scientific knowledge than we've ever had. And we just had the world's biggest fucking uh, like pie fight at the family reunion that led to the death of fucking tens of millions of people. Just death over whose mustache is more waxed in the greater inbred fuck puddle of European royalty. But you know, really it was about you know, the system overheating, the need for you know, uh, markets to be found elsewhere and, uh, and the need to deal with the rest of uh, working class who were acquiring political power at an alarming rate in all of the countries that went to war in World War I. And that kind of took the wind out of the sails of positivism. But there, for a while there in the 19th century, it had a real go. And one of the legacies of it is the flag of Brazil, Ordo and, Ordo and Progresso. And then you look at Brazil now, and you look at fucking... Uh, Bolsonaro running around getting pecked to death by emus and getting 16 types of corona and saying that we need to not be homos about it, only worse than that. I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, think the, I don't know if I agree with your police work there, Lou. South Carolina flag uh, is a good flag. The Palme uh, 
There's an interesting factoid about the South Carolina flag, uh, and it speaks to the history of, uh, of like the settlement into plantation agriculture of the South. Because the underlying, real, the underlying thing that, uh, that ended up creating the dueling economic models in the North and South out of the American colonies was, uh, was geographical. It was distribution of soil uh, riches, basically. The, the northern tier, thanks to weather and other things, had land that could, could be used for agriculture, but was, could not be profitably utilized in the nutrient-intensive extractive economies of uh, cash crops. So the model became smallholding farmers, who traded with cities. They traded their surplus production to, to, to urban areas in exchange for finished products. In the South, the existence of this rich bottomland allowed for this large-scale exploitation, which required a degree of uh, labor input that was simply not affordable on the market. No one could be paid enough to do what it takes to, take, to, uh, to make that profitable you would take all the profit. There would be no profit. There would be no place for the guy to sit on the veranda and fan himself. And that simply wouldn't do. And so slavery had to be invented out of that reality. And the people who carried out that slavery were culturally distinct within the uh, people coming to the new world. Because every, every like wave of Europe, English, uh, first English and Irish uh, immigration, British immigration in the very early years, of the, com of, the, of the colonies was the distribution uh, uh, at first almost randomly like religious outcasts and uh, you know people seeking uh, trade but over time, over time as the area became settled and as like its actual distribution of resources became known people started self-selecting and in a place where there's a ton of land that could be bought held and converted to uh, to like massively uh, labor extractive agriculture, meaning indentured labor or slaves. This brought uh, the aristocracy. It brought the, the, the gentry of the of of the of Great Britain. It brought the the, the overflowing squires. The children of the of the of the landowning elite, the the, the real blue bloods, uh, in heraldry. The crescent moon is the sign of the second son, who doesn't inherit anything under primogeniture, the one who has to become a, a, a join the army or the priesthood, or uh, find something to do, because you don't get the you don't get anything. You have to find your way, and a lot of these people. In, after the, after immigration uh, and col colonial colonialization, colonization started in first in the West Indies and in the Americas, um, they started following suit. They followed the land, and uh, the generation of uh, leaders of colonial South Carolina, the ones who built its institutions and built its culture and built its political, you know, architecture, uh, 
and, and, and its like economic uh, arrangements, were largely the second sons, sec, second the second sons of planters who had already been established in Jamaica and in the West Indies, controlled by the UK, places where the uh, you know the dwindling uh, land, like the land of the old aristocracy, was sort of dwindling away in its profitability during this era in England. And at the same time, you could take your capital if you accumulated there, go to the New World, buy some land, and recreate it there with slave labor instead of uh, tenants or, or hired hands at, at, a, at a much higher profitability rate than like fucking shearing sheep or whatever you were doing in the Cotswolds. And so they recreated the old aristocracy in the New World, but the same issue of primogenitor arose. And so the early elite of South Carolina were the second sons of those uh, Jamaican and Barbadian uh, planter aristocrats. And so they put the sun on the flag. So that's a fun little fact. Uh, anybody have uh, any other flags for me? Nepal, yeah, that's the one, that's the pennant, right? That's the one that isn't uh, trying, and that's actually, we, like, Ohio is just a pennant. This with the, with the sob, it's cool. It's good. It's good. It's a good battle standard, which presumably it was. Uh, Maryland is weird. Maryland, if you look at it too closely, you get a headache. It looks like a magic eye poster. Scariest World War II group except for the Nazis. That's a good one. There's two big contenders, in my view. One, the Ustasia in Croatia. Ante Pavlik. These guys were, uh, when, the not, when, when they entered into their junior partnership with, with the Third Reich, uh, and they saw what, what they could get away with. Oh, boy. They went ham. Uh, and... Uh, And uh, even, like, the local Nazis were so appalled by it that they said, hey, tone it down a little bit. There was a, uh, there was a uh, group called, uh, or I mean, there was, there was a rumor, I think it was like in a, in a it, it, was, it appeared in a novel, but people sometimes think it's, it's true. I guess it's apocryphal. It's too good a, I kind of believe it's true because it's too good a story. That Ante Pavlik, the guy who uh, was the head of that puppet regime, uh, was uh, he had a jar of eyeballs on his desk. But he, along with a lot of the other Astasha, uh, in a higher rate than like other collaborators, was able to escape uh, Europe through a rat line involving Vatic uh, the Vatican and Catholic priests, uh, the CIA and the Mafia. Like This was the early stages of setting up the networks that would become the Gladio operation. The first thing they did was get these Croatian Catholics out of Europe and into South America. And Anti Pavlik went to Argentina, I believe, where he lived for I think, relatively in the open for 20 years until a, I think, a Serbian uh, nationalist found him and fucking plugged his ass 
and he actually survived the initial gunshot and was flown to Spain for medical treatment under Franco and then died there. So the Ustasha are up there. The Iron God of, Guard of Romania, who carried out one of the most gruesome pogroms of World War II, where they literally took uh, Jewish people, I think, of Budapest into, a, uh, or Bucharest, into a uh, slaughterhouse. It, it, fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre stuff. Like the kind of stuff that, that even for Holocaust standards, is pretty grim. You know, like... Because you've got your Holocaust stuff, which is all like bone bleachingly, soul terribly, ter- soul shreddingly terrible, and then you've got things like the Iron Guard, the Durlwangler Brigade, Come and See is based on those guys. That is like, and of course Mengele, where you're like, Gugh. and then I will say, non-European edition, you gotta go with Japanese imperialism. Holy shit! Believing that you are literally like a divine people descended from a living God and having uh, internal combustion engines and fucking machine guns is a bad mixture. Unit 731. Put that on the list that goes above and beyond World War II grossness. Nanking Massacre also. Yeah, it's a very good likelihood that, uh, I mean, you can trace 7, you, uh, MK Ultra starts with Unit 731, because it was from that research that the CIA developed the uh, germ warfare that they were using in, uh, in Korea that they had to cover up, and, and, uh, and also the mind control techniques they used to try to like reverse engineer brainwashing and also create it at the same time. And you gotta say though that like of all these places, like the Japanese, to just like not really talk about it at all, to just sort of act like okay, why are you bringing up old shit? It's it's pretty breathtaking from like a, a you know from a G eight country. It's like come on guys, you guys are rich. You guys are rich. Look at the Germans. The Germans are like are bad, and it's like sure you know they can they can feel sad. They're all ch- stuffed with chocolate and round and enjoying a big frosty beer and listening to some oompa music, they can be like, yeah, sorry sorry about the Holocaust. You guys have fucking sex robots and, uh, and like, conveyor belt sushi and, like, uh, VR karaoke rooms and pachinko machines uh, that you can fuck? You can't fucking say my bad? Oh, what, because you got nuked? Oh, Sorry. I mean, Turkey, you can kind of understand a bit more, you know, like it's, it's been a, it's, it's, it's a developed country, but it's also at a much lower, you know, just per capita income level than Japan. Uh, it's much less politically stable. I mean, four or five, what, I think, what, I think, believe three coups since uh, World War II and a, an attempted one only a few years ago. And, you know, like the fact that they're, uh, that their whole domestic political culture is this sort of like Islamo-fascism. It's kind of funny. Like that was a made-up term. That was a made-up term for years. 
by guys like Christopher Hitchens to squint at the Cold War and turn it into World War II. But like specifically, like the AKP political, uh, you know, military uh, machine that controls Turkey is like fusion of like the old, uh, you know, right-wing secular uh, nationalism of the Grey Wolves with like explicit uh, uh, Islamic uh, like religious justification. And, of course, also just shocked through with Gladio. But, of course, the Japanese government was also shot through with Gladio. I don't know as much about that, but apparently uh, there's a lot of stuff. Like the U.S. and the Yakuza uh, operating to essentially create like a, 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 a shadow structure behind the entire political facade and the, like, uh, the emerging conglomerates that dominate the Japanese economy. I'd like to know more about it. Click. But at the same time, like, it's all behind the scenes and they get to groove. They get to dance with, like, the mascots. They get to do the mascot dance. Turkey doesn't get to do the mascot dance. They go to fucking soccer matches and all have to stab each other. So I say, Japan, you have less of an excuse than Turkey. Come on, Japan. Come on. Yeah. Both the Japan, in both Japan and Italy... Uh, the United States essentially created one-party states to replace the fascist governments, staffed largely by former administrators and political figures of those fascist regimes to maintain, make sure that communism did not come through the back door. We're going to play Cod Cold War on Sunday. We're going to try anyway. I do not, I mean, I, I trust Chris, but I don't trust the equipment necessarily, so, and I don't, like, know how to, we, this is the first time we're streaming something, so we're going to be in the office, having tested each other, and had our tests done, uh, and we're going to be codding. The fact that it's all during the 80s is just so mind-blowing. I mean, we like to think of the 80s as the grand like, climax of the Cold War in terms of it's when we achieved moral clarity. It's when we finally had a president who had the guts to call them an evil empire and demand the end of oppression in Eastern Europe, tear down this wall, and it all ended up to the walls tumbling down like fucking Jericho. But in terms of our actual policy, like the strategic... Uh, uh, geo, like the, the, the geopolitical like, strategic operations that made up our Cold War response, our Cold War gamesmanship, was at its most depraved and monstrous. And that's because uh, we felt like we had them and we were going to squeeze the fucking life out of them. What was, like, the U.S. Cold War in the 80s was, let's go around the horn, we'll start close to home. In the 80s, Cold War was, in, Latin, in Central America, uh, support genocide against indigenous people who were resisting the, the uh, feudal overlords, the, the, the post-colonial feudal overlords that we had installed there. Uh, or, in the case of Nicaragua, respond to a popular political uprising against our disgusting latifundist 
uh, Comprador uh, class collaborators. Uh, we declared unofficial and illegal war on them, and uh, that war including the illegal mining of their harbor and the funding of a bunch of drug-peddling psychopath former military officers whose main tactics were burning down rural hospitals and raping teachers and burning down uh, schools. That's what they did. They didn't fight. They didn't fight the Sandinistas. They murdered civilians and destroyed civilian infrastructure with the drug money that we helped them get by selling drugs to American citizens. That's another part of this thing. Let's not forget that. Uh, in the 80s, it's collaborating with Operation Condor and the fucking juntas in Argentina and, uh, and uh, the Uruguays and Chile and Brazil. In Africa, holy shit, it is full-throated uh, military and diplomatic alliance with the South African apartheid regime in its death throes, supporting it against international censure and, uh, and, the, and the effective application of uh, sanctions, and then militarily collaborating with them in trying to defeat indigenous or uh, uh, African uh, uh, independence movements in Namibia. You get a situation, the Battle of Quinto Cranavale, the biggest land battle in Africa since World War II, a stand-up, month, months-long battle between uh, uh, Marxist Angolans uh, and supported by Cuban, and Rus Cuban troops and Russian advisors against South African, uh, against a, uh, a native, like, uh, puppet guerrilla movement supported by South Africa, European mercenaries, and us. That's what we were doing in Europe. That's what we were doing in Africa at that time. Meanwhile, uh, the, the, the uh, South African uh, security service, the boss, the Bureau of State Security, is going hog wild, doing everything from assassinating, obviously assassinating domestic political opponents like Steve Biko, uh, creating uh, puppet organizations like within the Zulu uh, uh, communities to uh, create like a... a turf war with the ANC to like, undermine their position from the inside, uh, killing opponents in foreign countries. They fucking put a mailbox, they put a bomb in the mailbox of Ruth First, who was uh, one of the heads of the African, of the Communist Party in, in South Africa, and blew her up. They probably killed this fucking Swedish Prime Minister. They very well might have in intentionally infected uh, Townships with AIDS, if you believe anything that was in uh, Cold Case Hammerstroll, and there's reason to. The Middle East, we, who did we support in, in, the, in the convulsions of the Middle East, the, like the, the Lebanese Civil War? Israel and fucking uh, the Falange, the people who carried out the Sabra and Shatia massacre. We funded both sides of the Iraq-Iran War, which is the biggest land war of the 20th century other than World War, uh, since World War II and, and killed millions cease needlessly. Defend, uh, supporting the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, a bunch of fucking uh, uh, tribal psychopaths 
reactionaries in every sense, the, like the, the up, upholders of like the least progressive elements of the society intentionally to undermine communism with no idea or care about what it would do in the long run. Uh, also, just dealing drugs, let's not forget that. Just dealing wild amounts of coke. And some heroin, too. Golden Triangle's still there. Afghanistan. Oh, we were supporting the fucking uh, the Khmer Rouge in exile. Isn't that funny? The Khmer Rouge in exile, because they had been kicked out by the Vietnamese, the, the Vietnamese communists, uh, was supported in the UN uh, and materially by the United States and Britain and China, of course which is hilarious, but, uh, and so, yeah, like, what's one of the missions? You go in and meet Pol Pot, and you give him a fucking bunch of uh, landmines? Just, like, there's nothing but repression and bloodshed. There's nothing you can, like, at least in the 60s, there was, like, the USAID thing, there was, like, the Peace Corps, which is awful as you can, uh, you want to say at least was an attempt to like extend a, a carrot then by the 80s because the tide was turning there was no carrot that developmentalist bullshit like the the the, the proud papa good neighbor policy that was fucking the, that by the 80s that rug had been pulled out after the volcker shock especially in the domestic in in uh latin america the volcker shock we talk about what it did in domestically but what it did internationally is also still with us and in, what specifically it did in Latin America is that it essentially exploded the debt of every fucking country in Latin America, which was priced in American dollars and had American interest rates, therefore, determining its transactions. And, they could, and so their interest rates on the, the, the debt just exploded. And it essentially broke the back of the entire like, developmental model that was being tried in Latin America. Like, there was an attempt, even among like, the right-wing regimes, to build independent domestic economies and not just be extraction economies for the West and, and the, the Yankees. Uh, but those efforts were fundamentally in every sense abrogated by that. And everything has been struggling with the, the fallout of that. So once again, nothing, nothing to write home about, about the U.S. and the Cold War. You know, I'm trying to think of like forces that the U.S. supported in uh, other parts of the Cold War that might have, you know, even if they were bad because we were supporting them, why wouldn't they be? But, you know, like the people making them up, you have some sympathy for. Like I would say that the Hmong, the, the Montad Yards that the CIA recruited uh, to, to uh, fight on their behalf in, in Vietnam and Laos, I... I it was all bad, but like I, they themselves, you know, were fighting. They weren't fighting to oppress anybody, really. You know, you could see that they were like just trying to maintain a way of life, maybe. Even it, maybe that's bullshit. And of course, everything was fueled by drugs, and so you've got local leaders just taking over, and it's corrupt. Of course, there's just something I could see is like, 
yeah, you know what? That's a, that's a bum rap. I don't know what I would do in that situation either. But by the '80s, it was all just monsters. It was it was it was the worst, a settler colonial overclass, unrestrained by any concern for needing to negotiate with like working class power or 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 peasant power. So yeah, I'm very interested to see what the missions are. Like I said, it'd be very funny if the Vermont killings were one. You had to go into a fucking uh, Belgian grocery store and just spray everybody, like the no Russian scene. Trying to think. Well, I'm wondering whether it will actually be in there. Where is he going to go? I saw some jungle action. Are they going to just do fucking Rambo? Like pretend that's what we were doing in the 80s? Yeah, there's a good idea. The Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama is basically a CIA asset. They they got him they got him out of there, as Donald Sutherland said in JFK, for to serve a purpose. Like he his 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 international position is 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 a was maintained because of its advantageousness to U.S. foreign policy. But at the same time, I can't get mad at the Lama, and I can't really feel the Lama is doing that much bad. Maybe he's doing worse. I don't know that much about the Lama. He pro- I mean, and it is true that hereditarily the llamas were just feudal overlords, and they were ex- they were exploitative, and like they were. But like, when they kicked him out, is he even that anymore? Isn't he just kind of like a hobo? So, can't get too mad at the llama. But that was the fifties. In the eighties, it's Jonas Savimbi, uh, it's fucking uh, P.K. Botha, uh, it's uh, Robert Debussin and. Uh, El- El Salvador, Efrio Rios Mont, fucking Pinochet, Pol Pot, as I said earlier. <laughs> yeah, there should definitely be a, 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 a thing where you just have to escort like a shipment, like an Escobar shipment. Because we were buying it, for, we were, uh, they were moving it for Escobar. The CIA was moving it for Escobar, Escobar through Central America, among other people. Uh, and just, a, you got to get like a giant thing and you got to get it through and like escort mission, blah, blah, blah. Maybe cigarette boats. I know it was mostly California, but maybe just like a cigarette boat thing, like, that'd be fun. Someone wants to know about the BECCI. I mean, it was essentially a front bank for CIA transactions and money laundering, which the Vatican Bank also served as in the 80s. Uh, if there's a contemporary equivalent, Deutsch, I mean, all of them are, obviously. At, at, if it, in a case of emergency, all of them are. But in terms of ones that act on a day-to-day basis for that purposes, you look at the global war, thing, HSBC is up there. They got dinged for that like multi, multi, multi-billion dollar uh, cartel laundering case where nobody... Did a dime, the second of jail time, and they're fucking, uh, they're they're <laughs> they're um, they're their fine was basically a rounding error compared to how much money they'd moved. But Deutsche Bank, man, 
Deutsche Bank. I don't know a lot about all the ins and outs stuff. I'm not true and on. I'm not a details guy. I'm big picture. But, man, Deutsche Bank. Wild shit. Oh, yeah. Chechnya. You could go to Chechnya in, in that one, too, in the 90s. Oh, man, I want those Vatican archives. Somebody says Vatican archives are the Deutsche Bank archives. They would both be rich, rich treasures, but I would love to get, like, the whole depths of, of the Vatican's, specifically their inter intervention in Italian politics after World War II. Very interested in that. But also all the pedophile stuff. Come on. How far did that go? Yeah, that's there was a because uh, like if P two is like the secret government, like the social secret government of uh, Italy after World War Two, then South Africa had one too. Someone is reminding me this. Uh, South Africa had one of those too. Uh, it's, it was called the Afrikaner Brotherbund, the African Afrikaner Brotherhood. And it was a, it was like Kiwanis Club. And if you, if you wanted to be, if you wanted to get into the, the top ranks of the National Party, you had to be in it. And that's kind of what you get when you get a situation that it happened after, uh, uh, in South Africa. Because uh, after they, after South Africa officially got separated from the UK, uh, they became kind of a one-party state for a while. The National Party became like the, 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 the governing structure, even though they were still formally a democracy within the white you know, electorate. Uh, so that meant that like, politics had to become internalized, and it was internalized through this organization, the African Broader Bridge. And you know, it, was, it was a way to, to uh, identify talent and then groom it through social uh, trust and connection. Because that's how you actually have to govern. You have to govern through insinuation and trust uh, so that you can leave unspoken horrible things. And the only way you can do that is by the acculturation of trust over time. And so these ritualized sort of uh, initiations, they're part of any power structure. And so like that is why, you know, when, that's one of those things that is... Uh, Distorting because conspiracy theory turns it into the whole sum of the thing. But really it's just the social ritualization of power that is there implicit in the, stru the structure that we're all finding ourselves part of. And we're playing our part within. But at the end of the day, there was enough... Like When any of you talk about any of these shadow governments or anything... They're able to rule because they represent a social order that is, that is uh, in some sense, materially generated. That's why they're able to rule. So if something intervenes with them, they will rule. Shit. Was any of that politics? I said there wasn't going to be any politics, and I kind of think I fucked up and put some politics in there. And if I did, I have to say that I... I feel that I am accountable 
And I want everyone to know that I feel that I am being held to account by you and that you can be aware that in the future I will always remember this moment of accountability and carry it forward into the future to remain an accountable boy, an accounting, accountable boy who we all love to account for and account for every day. Don't we love him? Isn't he a sweetheart? He is, isn't he? Say goodbye to the accountable boy. Accountable boy, they all said.